Hi, welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. I'm David Averbach, CEO and Publisher. Today we have a very special guest. My dad (laughs) is joining us for the podcast, Michael Schill. He is an internet service provider and is going to tell us all about 5G today. So welcome, Dad. Thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, discussing this with you. He's been listening to the podcast for a while. But this is his first time joining us. And In so it's In front of the exciting. camera. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So today we're talking about 5G. Uh, we know a lot of people are excited about all the possibilities with this great leap in technology that's coming our way. And both from this, we're going to talk about the phone side of things, what uh, what it takes to have a 5G phone, and then also what we're expecting in terms of the rollout of the 5G network and when we're going to get to a place where we can all enjoy that. First, David's going to tell us about our sponsor. Yeah, so today's sponsor is Informant 5, and they have one of the best calendar apps. We used to call, we usually call it the calendar app Apple should have made, and there's a couple reasons for that and reasons why you may want to consider switching. First of all, Apple made a really interesting decision when they separated out calendar and reminders into two separate apps and i'm always trying to figure out is this a reminder for tomorrow or is this an event for tomorrow well on informant 5 they've combined those two functionalities into one app which is i think the more appropriate way of handling it uh and also has a really easy to use interface every time i'm talking to them they're coming out with new and ways of using the app it's available on iPhone, iPad, Mac. It's also available, though, on PC. So if you're a PC user, you can sync across platform. It's available on Android. Uh, so make sure you check it out. It's a really great app, Informant 5, in the App Store now. Or go to iphonelife.com podcast, and we'll link to it. Thanks, David. Next, we want to tell you about our Daily Tip newsletter. We have a free daily newsletter that teaches you something cool you can do with your iPhone in just one minute a day. If you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips, you can sign up there. And Dad, you are a Daily Tip newsletter subscriber, aren't you? I am, and I uh, have been an iPhone user for a long time, and I still find many useful things there that I, <laughs> when I'm trying to figure things out, like, oh yeah, I would like to know how to do that. And yeah. So it's, it's, it's very useful. That's saying a lot because when I get together with him, he's always teaching me things I can do with my phone because he's for sure a hardcore tech enthusiast. Yes. So saying a lot, go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips to sign up. We want to share with you one of our favorite tips right now. And that is how to take a full page screenshot in Safari. This is an iOS 13 feature that I think has been a long time coming. It's really useful. Um, I use it for taking a screenshot of like an itinerary or a ticket or something like that. But I'm curious to hear from David and uh, my dad what they would use it for. But how it works is when you're in Safari, you take a screenshot the way you usually would. So if you have an iPhone 10 or later, that means hitting the volume, clicking the volume down button and the side button at the same time. If you have an older phone with a home button, you're pressing the home button and the side button at the same time. From there, there's a little screenshot pop-up that shows at the lower left corner. You guys are probably all familiar with that. If you tap it, you go to the markup window and you're probably used to that too. But now at the top of the display, there'll also be, there'll be an option that's like just the regular screenshot or full page. So if you tap full page and save from there, you'll have an option to save a PDF to the files app. Um, 
as far as I am aware, the only way to save the full screen version is in PDF format. Instead, of it won't save to the Photos app the way that it usually would. So this is useful if you have just something longer, like or an article, let's say, that you want to save a PDF of. You can do it that way. But I was curious. I feel like there's a lot of op- possibilities here that I probably haven't even tapped well, into. Well, I have to say, I have mixed feelings about this tip. Because when it came out, I was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, I'm trying to take a screenshot of something, but there's a little bit too much text. And so it ends up below the fold. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to get all that in. And so I feel like it has a lot of potential. But every time I go to do it, it feels like as soon as I toggle to that full page mode, it's so much on a page that in order to make it useful, it's like you have to really zoom way in and it just becomes like a management issue on my phone to try to access the information I want. Mm. Uh, And in particular, saving it to PDF makes it a little bit harder to share with people. (coughs) Yeah, Um, that would be my main complaint. Yeah, and I mean, I really like the idea of doing this for articles. I hadn't thought about that. And itinerary tends to be what I try to do it for, but it's like I end up, I feel like I just end up with this unwieldy PDF. And so the implementation falls a little short for me, but I, I'm part of it feels like I'm still mastering how to make it useful. Would you prefer if it saved as a photo, like a, to your Photos app? I think what I would prefer if I were, if I could wave a magic wand at Apple, <laughs> would be if I could control, if there was a middle ground between full page and just a standard screenshot so I control how much information showed Mm. up on my screenshot. Because a lot of times it's like, I basically want a screenshot. I just want a little bit more than it's allowing me to have. Um, So I think I kind of want a middle ground, a little more fine-tuned management. (coughs) And then maybe I would like to choose, does it show up in my files as a PDF or as a photo? Yeah, so more customizable would be nice. What about, have you used this I personally... Love the PDF file oh, format. Okay. Why? Tell us. And well, just because it's so universal, and I've got software to edit it and so forth. So if it is too long, but yeah, the thing is, a lot of web pages these days scroll kind mm-hmm. of endlessly. Yeah. Know, so it's true. It, it does make it very long. But I, I usually will save things that I want uh, informationally to Evernote and PDF in an Evernote yeah. is great. And then you can view it on your uh, laptop or, or desktop screen and see all the information. So I find it value to be able to capture all the information. Nice. And do not you, just have it cut off, you know. Remind me, do you use Evernote business account or do you just use it personally? I have a business account, but I mainly just do everything in my personal account. I'm still one of expanded in my business, but uh, so far we haven't because it really takes a lot of work to design it and then roll it out and train people and I just haven't got that together yet. Well, and I have to say Evernote, similarly to this uh, tip, is an area where I know it'd be useful yet I struggle to implement it in my life in a way that's useful. Do you use Evernote, Donna? I don't. I used to, um, but I had a similar... Like if I really wanted to buy into using it, I would get the paid version and I never really got excited enough to like bite the bullet and do that. So no, I, you're the I use it extensively. <laughs> I've had for years. I just, I, I love Evernote. It's, it's fantastic. And for a business, I mean, it's, I think it'd be, I'd like to go paperless, you know, yeah. scan everything in, but. 
it seems like some of the issue too is getting full company buy-in in any software that you're using. Oh, you yeah. have to like spend yeah. the time on education and training. Yeah, and not everybody sure loves it. it as much as I do, so <laughs> it, it, it hasn't happened yet. I have to say, as long as we're way off on yeah, the weeds yeah. here, <laughs> I, have, I am re-inspired to use Evernote. I got pulled over over the weekend. And they asked really for my going in, into the weeds. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're going to bring it right back. They asked for my insurance, and in Iowa, you can provide digital proof of insurance, which is what I intended to do. Oh, that's nice. And I couldn't find the document on oh. my phone, and so in my head, I keep. Uh, so I, I went and re-downloaded it. They gave me a warning. It was fine, but <laughs> I now I'm like, I need to start using Evernote or Files or some place to store some of those really important documents. Because right now they're just sort of like scattered all over in various places. And Evernote does strike me as a very good solution for that use case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Notes now has better. Yeah, yeah. Could be put in there, I just got to get organized. <laughs> the only thing about the screen capture thing is a lot of times is I'll hit the buttons by accident. And I have mm. a lot of screen captures in my photos library that I need to... To I have a tip for you. I have yeah. a tip for you. If you go into your Photos app and then tap the Albums tab, from there you can. There's a, a folder automatically created of all of your screenshots. So you'll Ooh, see. So you can one. go to that and delete all delete your screenshots. Are well, superfluous. Yes. Yeah. And what's great about iOS 13 is not only do they put in that folder, and this is a, both a, a, something to be aware of, and also I think a, a benefit. They only puts in that folder. So they now use AI to take those screenshots out of your standard photo app and put them in that folder. I'm right about that, right? Well, they said they were going to do that. So if you go, if you're in the, let me open up my photos app to double check this. If you're in your photos app and you go to the days view, it's going to hide, it won't highlight any of your screenshots. But if you tap all photos, you'll see everything. Anyway, it Mm. does, I do find it gets hidden a lot. And so it is good to know that if you do want to find those screenshots, go there. And also I do regularly go and delete them because screenshots are only valuable usually in the moment I take them. I don't like go back and look at screenshots from a year ago. No, neither. (laughs) So... As you can see, (laughs) our Daily Tip newsletter has tons of little tidbits of information that can be really useful. We just ended up giving you a few different tips here. But if you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips, you can sign up. Next, I want to tell you about our Insider program. That's our premium subscription, and it's an educational service to help you really get the most out of your iPhone. So in addition to daily tips, which you get a video version of as well, you also get in-depth video guides and downloadable PDFs that you can follow along with at your own pace. We have an exclusive insider version of this podcast without any of the ads and with uh, extra bonus content. You get a digital subscription to the magazine and full our full archive. That's over 30 issues of iPhone Life magazine. And you get Ask an Editor. So that means when you have any tech problems, you can email us and one of our experts will help guide you to a solution. And we have, I think it'll be next week, we're coming out with our iOS 13 issue of iPhone Life magazine. We have mm-hmm. over 100 tips in there. And so that is included, the digital edition of that. Plus, we actually have over 30 back issues of the magazine. Mm-hmm. So you can go and browse all of our issues, including our app guides, our gear guides, all of that. So make sure you subscribe. What's the URL? The, it's iphonelife.com <coughs> slash podcast discount. So that's iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. And you get $5 off your annual subscription. Also, Rayanne, our video editor, right now is working on a camera guide for the new 11, iPhone 11 and 11 Pro. And she 
is a photographer herself and so she has a great eye. She'll help you take better photos and also just know how to use all of the features in your phone. So that's another reason to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're ready to get into our main theme of this episode and that is 5G in case any of you forgot. Uh, let's start out just by talking about what is 5G, Dad. <laughs> well, 5G is, I think there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace about what 5G is because um, of all the ads you see and everything. Mm -hmm. But what f 5G stands for fifth generation, and the latest iteration of that is called 5G NR. I think in the, any industry, this, this one has more acronyms than anything out there. <laughs> NR just stands for new radio, and not very revealing uh, acronyms at that. Like LTE uh -huh. stands for long-term evolution. I never knew that. But Neither. Yeah, that's all it stands for. So it, it, what it is, it's another um, generation of the specification that is put together by a international standards body that's headquartered in France and has like uh, seven uh, main telecommunications providers from around the world are the, the primary members. Then there's like a couple of dozen other, you know, uh, minor members that contribute towards the specification. So 5G is impressive though. The, the changes uh, and uh, the upgrade to what the prior generations are is, is a huge quantum leap compared to other generations, which started, you know, 1G, 2G, on all the way up to 5G. So the, this is just the fifth iteration of that specification then that the various carriers around the world are are implementing, and they're really implementing it using their own uh, platforms, their own uh, frequencies that they've owned for years, um, and it's it's just an upgraded capability using those, and then they're adding, which is the big thing you hear about, millimeter wave, uh, which is the uh, a much higher frequency on the spectrum that allows for much higher bandwidth downloads. That's what you see when you see on the ads, and they're downloading at 1.9 gigabit. Mm -hmm. it, that's the millimeter wave system. So... Okay, um, that is super interesting. I guess I'm wondering, right, right now on 4G, I just know it's been such a huge leap from 3G to 4G uh, in terms of what you can do. Like, what can you expect? I mean, you mentioned some of the numbers there for downloads, but in terms of like user experience, how could it? How would it be different? I think one of the most impactful things, well, always is you know the bandwidth, the download uh -huh. speed. So. For example, uh, T-Mobile, they own 600 megahertz spectrum, and their 5G version of the, of the technology, which is out um, large, in large parts of the country, uh, will result in a almost doubling of the amount of uh, download speed for users. And like right now, today, there's only a couple of phones out there that are uh, available for 5G, and they're on the Android platform. I iPhone isn't out yet. Um, and the other thing is very low latency. So um, a graphic that I saw, you know, it shows you click on something and then it, it, uh, it resolves to your screen and then it, it pops up on your screen uh, with a, you know, 100 to 200 millisecond latency. That takes a little, you know, a little delay, whereas they're, they're saying with 5G, the latency will be 
as low as one millisecond. So you click on it, boom, it, it fills your screen. So it's just going to be zippier. It's going to be a, a better user experience. And so oh. what sort of speeds, because uh, I haven't tested 4G in a while, like what, what sort of speeds are we talking about here? Well, on LTE with Verizon, um, I'm getting as you know 40 50 meg download speeds okay today so, with, so doubling then we're looking at maybe like 100 megabyte is about what we would expect yeah i mean verizon uses uh 1.7 to 2.1 uh gigahertz frequencies okay and so that's what they'll probably be rolling out i would imagine uh, around here but I, I really don't know i think verizon does have some 5g in des moines mm. uh, which is the closest place i've heard whether or not it'll ever reach you know, rural Iowa as far as the uh, what they're calling small cells um, is yet to be seen. You know, whether they'll actually roll out any millimeter wave kind of yeah. uh, solution in a small rural Iowa town or definitely not out, out in the rural community. But the, the beauty of it is, is that 5G will benefit everyone even, uh, even if we don't have the millimeter wave just because of the increased... Uh, efficiency of the specification itself. So like and the existing, the, what we use existing will improve too, uh, in right. addition to adding new frequencies. Yeah. Because they're going to take their 4G platforms, upgrade them to 5Gs using the same frequencies that they own, and it will just improve the performance of that pretty significantly. Um, so from what I understand, like in order to, before we can start using 5G, we would all need new phones, and there would have to be the rollout of this new specification everywhere, right? Right. Um, so how, like what does that involve for is it going to be a bunch more towers? like how do how do, is this network built? I think the main thing, I mean the 5G NR, new radio, the radios will be uh, different. One of the specs that I really love is that they require or the specification states that the energy efficiency of the platform is supposed to be 90% improved. Hmm. So if they're using, you know, whatever's at 100% today, it'll only use 10% of that energy-wise. And hmm. that, I think, is, is a big boon. And I think that um, because of the efficiency of the protocols and uh, specifications that the RF, uh, the broadcast of the RF may not even be at as high of energy levels as it is today. So that's kind of the impression I got, although I'm, I don't really know for sure the scientific facts of that. But I okay. think that could be a boon. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the safety concerns. of. Or what, David, did you have a question? Well, I was just going to ask about the low latency, because I've read a little bit that low latency can be really important. There's a lot of use cases for that that can be really valuable. For example, like you can do, you could potentially do remote medical procedures that you couldn't do now, things like that. Are there use cases for remote or for low latency other than just like it's it's zippier? Yeah. Like I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of like how is this going to change our lives? You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, on a, on a personal level, that's, I think, how we'll largely see it. But one of the very interesting features of this t a new specification is, they, is called network slicing, where, you know, the, it's one network, but they're, via virtualization and software, they're able to kind of have these different slices that will be doing different things. Um, 
the first release of the specification that's out today is just for mobile, mm -hmm. but in the future they'll have different layers that might apply to medical applications or might, they keep touting self-driving cars. Oh, yeah. But what I'm researching, it's a little mixed on that because the self-driving cars really have to be autonomous without any connection to a network. Mm. But the... The application sounds fantastic where if you're going down the highway at 100 miles an hour, um, you would need very low latency so that if there's an event up ahead of you in the traffic, uh, that your car is going to respond very quickly. You know, that information is going to get to your car to slow down or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So that, to me, it does sound like an interesting application that would require the low latency. Um, but that does sound scary in other ways, too, if you're re relying on uh, internet in your self-driving car, like what if something happened to the network, then yeah. suddenly is your car going to yeah. crash? Or internet for like heart surgery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it seems like it would have to be extremely reliable. Yeah. yeah. Or else. I mean, that is another part of the specification is 99.999% reliability. So I mean, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So they are, they have really thought the thing through. They've been working on this for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And so this is the fruition of of all these er earlier generations. And then with the great advancement of technology in processing power, so the radials will have much much more processing power, plus um, they're saying they're going to have servers in, in conjunction with the core of the actual network itself that will uh, increase, help keep the latency low. They'll cache content so that the content doesn't have to travel as far, you know, to get mm. your t to your device. But the network's slicing. There's, a, you know, the Internet of Things that y'all hear about in the in news as well. Mm -hmm. um, part of the spec is to accommodate that. That would be kind of a network slice that would would, uh, for, like, let's say, for uh, manufacturing or for uh, uh, whatever other applications for Internet of Things. They can connect at that layer and and have a persistent long-term connection with low power usage, such that the end devices, what part of the specification is the end devices should last as long as 10 years on one battery. Mm -hmm. So something that's battery wow. powered could be a sensor somewhere out in the field that's constantly communicating its information via this network. And uh, like for a lift station for a city or, oh, wow. or something like that uh, for control of equipment. Um, that that is another layer of the of this thing. So I think it's going to produce a lot of opportunity for these big carriers for additional revenues via these different um, mm. layers of their network that they can uh, make available in the marketplace. And so you think it w it will be available more in larger cities than in rural areas? And like, why is that? Well, it's just economies of scale. Um, you know, the the small cell is designed for more of an urban environment where, um, you know, you have neighborhoods with a lot of people, a lot of users that will uh, help justify the cost. Right. Putting it in out in rural markets. I mean, it might make sense to put it in a town of 10,000, like Fairfield, where we, where we live. Um, but that's, to me, that's yet to be seen. I mm -hmm. think we'll definitely get 5G. I just don't know if they're going to be doing the small cells in the millimeter wave part of the... And small cells in the millimeter wave are the things that are really going to contribute to the doubling in the speed and the low latency? Yeah, I mean, really, the millimeter wave will will be like a, almost a thousand times the speed. Wow. I mean, it goes from 
like right now, let's say I get I can get thirty to fifty meg download speed with yeah. millimeter wave, yeah. it could be two gig. So it, okay. it's it's huge. Um, wow. Yeah. So that, that it is impressive. But the other thing I've I've seen. You know, they show the guy with the download speeds like that, but the guy was standing like right next to where yeah, the tower is, and he literally walked around to the backside of a house, and the you know houses and and trees and so forth block millimeter wave. That's the I, that's uh, why the small cell, because the distance that it covers is much much smaller. So they have uh, to put a lot of them in to get. Uh, meaningful coverage. Mm. Yeah, that's what I, something I was reading is that there would be a lot more towers with 5G. Is that, do you think that's true? Yeah, it, and, and the, the small cells are typically going to be put on even existing poles, you know, mm. like um, utility poles around town. But a lot of, uh, of uh, parts of the country, including Iowa, they've even passed laws, you know, the, I think the carriers must have lobbied for this where they can put these towers in throughout a town in the rights of way and that the cities can't block them from doing that. So hmm. they've laid the foundation to, for, for the, the carriers to be able to put in these small cells, put in towers. But most of the ones I've seen examples of are, are just, they put them up on existing poles. So they're in less this, obtrusive. It's not like way. an eyesore necessarily. Yeah. 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 This yeah, does bring ask. us to Donna's question, though. I know some people are concerned about the health ramifications of that. Is mm -hmm. that, in your opinion, something that is valid that we should be worried about? Well, I'm definitely not an expert <laughs> on that. But I'm no doctor. But from yeah. what I've uh, been able to derive, um, especially with millimeter wave, because the array, the t antenna arrays may have as many as 100 elements in them. And it utilizes what's called beam forming to where the, you know, if you have your device in the field and you're requesting information, it'll, it'll just send the, the RF radiation towards your device, you know, um, and not just broadcast it all the time everywhere. So to me, that, uh, my impression was that we could end up even with, and, and due to the energy efficiency specification I was talking about, we could have less RF in our environment than before, but I... I'm just basing that on a kind of a gut level reaction at this point. I don't really know for sure. So, but if it's a, a, up to 90% more energy efficient, to me, that must mean that it, it, they're not going to be broadcasting or need to broadcast as powerfully as they have to date. Because compared to Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi, I think the maximum um, you can broadcast a Wi-Fi signal, mm -hmm. which is unlicensed spectrum in the 2, 4, and 5 gigahertz range is like up to a watt. Whereas up on a cell tower, it could be 10 or 20 watts that they're using to broadcast. So it, 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 these towers today is what they do. That's how they get the distance, how they can, you can have your cell phone in the basement of a building and still get a signal and still make a phone call. It's, so we're getting a lot more RF <clears throat> from cell towers than from Wi-Fi? Is that what you're saying? That's currently? Well, if you were you know, really close in the vicinity of one, but right. it also follows what's called the inverse square law so that for every uh, unit of distance, the power drops by a square of the, of the power. So once you've gotten a little ways away from a tower, the, the, the RF radiation is really pretty weak. So to me, the individual has more control of their, uh, what their exposure is going to be. Um, like, Move my phone <laughs> because <laughs> your phone is probably the device that will give the you know the most exposure to 
RF radiation because of its, you know, um, broadcasting of the cellular spectrum and Wi-Fi and so forth. So if you look, read the fine print of any manufacturer's phone, it, it'll say somewhere that you should keep it at least one inch away from your, you know, from your skin at all times, <laughs> which I know I, I don't follow. Yeah, that's but really, one. that's like, to me, that's very reassuring. Because if you have your phone an inch away from you and that's already making a huge difference, that just seems... It, yeah. th that whole you know exponential decrease of RF does make it seem very within our control. Just like don't put your phone in your pocket, don't. Yeah. Which is maybe easier for <coughs> me to say since I carry purses and you guys don't. So I don't know. So my understanding is that it since it exponentially drops off, that's somewhat comforting. We can just not have our phones in our pockets, and it's okay then, right? Right, uh, and also you know you could also put it on airplane mode or something to not broadcast, but then you always have to remember to take it back off if you want to get your message and, and so forth. So I think uh, if people are concerned about RF, it is largely under their control because it's the devices in their immediate environment that are going to give them that exposure. I don't think the general amount of RF in the out, outer environment is, is that dangerous just from what I've read and, and, and what I understand. So I... Personally, I'm not concerned uh, uh, about the health side of it that much. Okay. And I have another question for you as an internet provider. Are yeah. you concerned? Because one of the things I'm actually most excited about might be what you're not excited about, which <laughs> is I, I'm excited about the possibility of not needing to wire, have all the wired infrastructure of what we have internet now and everybody's just using 5G for everything. Is that A... A realistic possibility, and B, how are you feeling about that as an internet provider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a, a I guess I could say a concern. Um, I recently attended a uh, conference for internet providers, <laughs> and that was a question on my mind at, that. Uh, was it Wispalooza or something? Wispapalooza. Wispapalooza. <laughs> Stands for wireless ISP. You know, Wispapalooza, and they were largely unconcerned. They thought that. There's always going to be a need for uh, what we offer is, well, both fiber optic based service and we offer a f what's called fixed wireless broadband, where instead of having a wire to your house, you have a fixed wireless link, put mm -hmm. up a radio on the house, run a wire inside to your router to give you service with unlimited data. Because I think always with cellular uh, companies, there's going to probably be limitations on mm -hmm. data for that type of usage, but I don't know. It, it could be a more of a competitive uh, uh, challenge than I anticipate. But I, in rural Iowa, I don't think that's going to be the case. But And you think at least at minimum it's, it's years down the road for people are using 5G <clears throat> for their computers and as their primary Internet source? I think so because, you know, the way it works now, you have to have an account. So let's say you have 20 devices in your house, are you going to have to have an account for every single device? Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to connect. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, so yeah. that's... Uh, well, wouldn't you have a, a 5G router in your house like you have a router now? Yeah, that would be a, a possibility. And they, you know, they even with 4G, they've yeah, had of modems that you can have in your house, like uh, local carriers like US Cellular have that option. But we don't see people utilizing that much. I don't know. I think there's data limitations that have stopped mm -hmm. people from uh, uh, having that be a cost-effective. Yeah, and speed limitations, which is why it seems like yeah. 5G has that potential. But Yeah, especially with uh, the millimeter wave. But again, you'd have to be close to a, you know, yeah, close to, yeah. like 
they say a millimeter wave might cover a one square kilometer, but with, like for example, with T-Mobile's 600 megahertz spectrum, they can cover 100 square miles with mm -hmm. one tower. So just because it penetrates, whereas millimeter wave doesn't. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be, because it seems like right now with uh, data that you have on your phone, it's usually, you have to pay to have more data, you know? And so that's something that makes it Wi-Fi a way better option. And also, I mean, that's kind of a stress on you as a wireless provider that you just pay a fixed cost, but then people are using like streaming stuff constantly and you have to keep all, <laughs> have all this bandwidth for them that yes. in some ways is like, I don't know if unfair is the word, but you know, <laughs> it's a lot to well, keep up with. It, it is. Like. It's constantly a challenge for us because the, uh, as the devices come out that, that support streaming um, and the software that they use will take as much bandwidth as you give it, basically. Mm. Um, I mean, streaming is very bursty traffic. So like if you're downloading a 4K movie, it will burst up and, you know, and keep cached ahead of your usage. Um, so it'll be bursty on our network. So it, it, you know, it's working out. But yeah, we're constantly having to update, uh, upgrade the amount of bandwidth we have available to our network to the outside world, plus uh, the amount of bandwidth to backhauls to various tower locations to keep up with the demand. Yeah. And Donna, yeah. this might be a question for you as much as for Mike, but when are we expecting this to come out on the iPhone? Are we expecting this on the next iPhone? I mean, there were a lot of rumors for the 2019 iPhone yeah. that they were going to be 5G capable. And then the towards the September release, the rumors updated saying, no, it'll be 2020, maybe 2021. So I think it's a real possibility that the next generation iPhone will be 5G compatible, but then it will be a matter of, do you live in an area where you can even take advantage of that? Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see, but it looks like it's not too far <coughs> off in terms of Apple. You, there have been pretty consistent rumors that Apple is planning that. Uh, have you been keeping up with those rumors? You guys have the inside track. Can't you just call up Tim <laughs> Cook? Yeah, yeah, Tim Cook will just Tim pick something up. Like I really jealous. have not heard... Um, in the Apple rumor mill, you know, if the uh, various YouTubers that have, you know, that do yeah, yeah, yeah. Apple predictions, I haven't seen anything saying when. Yeah. So I, I was hoping you guys would have a little more insight. Yeah, but. I mean, I my what I've read is similar to what you said, Donna. Historically speaking, Apple tends to be late to the game for this in terms of when 3G came out, when 4G came out. Apple kind of likes to wait till the technology is a little more mature, whereas Android tends to be early, yeah. as we're mm -hmm. seeing now, and they like to tout it as a big feature. And Apple, they don't tend to do that so much. So I think certainly there's a possibility it'll be 2020. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2021. I don't think it'll be any later than that, because I think this technology is coming out quickly enough where by 2021, it would be pretty inappropriate for Apple to not release it. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. You would think so. But it is interesting because when you look at the specification and the development of the specification, only the very earliest part of the spec has even been released. Really? So okay. it's really uh, under development. And I, so I can kind of see Apple's perspective. They want to wait until the spec is pretty stable before they yeah. release a device, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I guess. but um, I guess my last question for you, Dad, is just, uh, you know, being in the technology <laughs> business for as long as you have been, just if you could comment a little bit on like the change you've seen so far and what we're able to do with our devices as internet's getting faster and faster and like where you see it going. I guess um, 
It is incredible, and, and we kind of almost take it for granted because it doesn't take long to get used to yeah. new advances, yeah. you know, uh, because we're all using the technology so much over the years that as something new comes out, it's like, wow, and then and we start using it right off. So I guess, you know, just higher and higher resolution, like they're already talking about 8K TVs, mm-hmm. and I don't know if any 8, 8K uh, content is even available out there. Yeah. But I just think these different technologies like home automation, uh, video cameras, all of this that take bandwidth and latency and so forth would be impactful for are just going to keep advancing and, and becoming easier and easier to use where consumers like even, you know, Ma and Pa who may not have ever used much technology, they, they have a smart TV, they're watching Netflix, you know, it's become easy so that you just push a button and Netflix comes up. So I, I just think things are going to get easier and easier to use, and a bandwidth-intensive applications are going to just continue to be rolled out. And so the more you know, the more bandwidth available, then the developers you know go, oh, I've got more bandwidth now, I can do this, and it just it's just a, a back and forth like that. It just keeps getting better and better. So I, when I first started uh, looking at 5G, I thought. I, I, I didn't think it would be that impactful, but after you know, really looking into it, I'm, I'm really excited about what the future may hold and what it might do to our society and culture, even you know, just worldwide. Yeah, no, that's my that's my two cents too. I'm really excited about it. Just the because yeah. it's like <clears throat> we have access to pretty much any information in the world on our phones, and the main limitation is how quickly can we access this and how much can we access at any given time? And so speed and latency make a big difference. Being able to at any moment, you know, access such large amounts of data, I think it'll create a lot of extra use cases that we aren't seeing yet, such as, you know, self-driving cars and things like that. So Yeah, hopefully <laughs> that hopefully 5G is reliable yeah. so that our self-driving cars work well. Mostly yeah. I just want to watch Netflix yeah. really fast. <laughs> so our question of the week is, what are you most what use cases for 5G are you most excited about? Email us at podcasts at iphonelife.com with well, your thoughts on that. Or if you're not excited, let us know about that too. Yeah, what are your concerns about 5G or yeah. what are you most excited about? <laughs> So each episode, we like to share an app or gear that we're, we've been using for our iPad or iPhone. Dad, could you share an app that you're enjoying or gear you're enjoying? Yes. Um, Accessory? With all the news about um, security and, and Facebook having all kinds of data mm-hmm. about us and uh, what we can do about it, I, I f- read an article. I think it had like five different apps that would help you to, you know, be, be more security oriented, one of which is called Jumbo. And what it does is it, it, it's great. It's a free app and it goes out and uh, sets up all the security settings like on Facebook for you. And you, you, know, you can choose at what levels you want. Things that you, if you tried to get into their interface to figure out and do would be difficult, but it, hmm. it does it all for you. Mm. So you just you know make a few choices. It, it sets it all up for you so that uh, not as much of your data is being sh- shared oh, wow. or, or, or gathered by Facebook and Google and a few others. Um, so I, I've, it's real easy to use and um, it's free. It's 
it's pretty amazing. So I, I, I would recommend that for anybody who has those concerns. Is there any way of like verifying that it's working and that it's not just secretly stealing? Yeah, <laughs> I, or it's not itself a security. Yeah. Good point. Well, I did notice changes because certain things are <laughs> that they collect about you are really nice to have. Like, for example, in Google Chrome, uh, searches that are, you know, sites that I use all the time, you go in and you type one letter in and boom, yeah. it fills. I know, I love that. And uh, some of those have gone away because uh -huh. it's, I'm, I said not to collect as much of my search history. And so I think I might go back and turn that, <laughs> that on because it's just too convenient. It just means you have to create a bookmark instead and, and yeah. remember where the bookmark is. But I did notice some definite changes. And some of that, I feel like, is about reputation, like... If an app has a good reputation, a lot of good reviews, that will be reassuring, and you're seeing it reviewed on other reputable sites, yeah. then you might, I assume that the, the, you found it somewhere that seemed not sketchy, this app recommendation? Yes, it yeah. was uh, an article from, I can't remember what publication it was telling I mean, about life, these. iPhone Life, probably? Yeah, of course. Probably, probably yes. <laughs> Leave that. <laughs> not a sketchy uh, operation at all. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, my, I have an accessory to share this week, and it is the Otterbox Otter Pop case. It's white marble. It's a little pricey. It's $60, but it is a really, I feel like it's the right balance of protective and slim. Uh, it has a little bit of a bezel on, around the edge so that if I drop my phone on its face, it should be safe and shouldn't crack the screen unless there's something protruding from the surface of the table. Um, it the the pop part that's the uh, pop socket on the back. It's built in, so when it's closed, it's pretty much flat. It sticks out a little bit, but I really do enjoy being able. Well, for those watching the video <laughs> podcast, to ignore that, you can prop it up and have you know for this podcast, it's great. For instance, I can just check my notes and it's at the right angle for viewing. I could watch a movie on a plane this way, and also when I'm holding it, it's just nice to hold More this secure, way. Yeah. I'm I'm very entertained. By, I know by this I'm one. a so total hypocrite. Is yeah a hypocrite? You just come full circle. I've evolved. You've evolved in your thinking. So when Donna and I, we went to CES, Consumer Electronics Show, last year, which, of course, you guys just heard our Consumer Electronics Show episode from this year. But last year, we saw this <coughs> demoed, and Donna just hated it. <laughs> she was like, who would ever use that? That is so dumb. The pop-up? Here we are. Yeah, here we are. The pop socket. Box. And the funny thing is I I defended it because the thing that I hate about pop sockets is I tend to keep my phone in my pocket and the pop socket always sticks on the edge of my pocket and I can't get mm. it in. I can't get it out. I'm always fiddling with it. And so... This solves that problem. <laughs> now, ironically, I still hate. I'm so, not a pop socket fan, and I'm not using it after being the defender of this case. So <laughs> part of it is that at CES, it seemed like it was just being hyped a lot, and I was like, "Well, it's I've been using pop sockets for years. It's really not that different. It's just built into the case." But I will say <laughs> that it's pretty nice having it built into the case. And uh, I like that it's slimmer than it would be otherwise, so I could still use this with my wireless yeah, charger at night without taking lot. it off, which before I stopped using pop sockets once wireless charging came out because it would get in the way. So, yeah, I've evolved. I'm those not are, a hypocrite. Those are two very good reasons. <laughs> yeah. I, I support you. And I really <laughs> like, for those watching, you can see it's the white marble design. Um, for those not watching, it's just like a black and white marbly design on the back that I think looks cool. It does look cool. All right, David, what do you have okay, for us? Okay, well, mine's hot off the presses. All right. Uh, so 
as you all know, I am not that into gaming on my phone. I, I have Apple Arcade mostly for my stepson. I don't use it very much. Uh, but there's one game that I've always loved and I continue to play. That's 2048. <laughs> so I guess that's the first one. I've talked about it a lot, so that's not really a new app. But I, I'm obsessed with it. And, like, I've been playing it for years now. And it hasn't lost its charm for me. Do you guys play 2048 at no. all? I haven't seen it. I just saw you overlooked you playing Well, this yeah. is the new and improved 2048. So that's amused. what I'm going to tell you about. Yeah, while we're setting up for the podcast, David was ignoring us in gaming. Yeah. So. Well, because it was, it was the new and improved 2048. <laughs> so Facebook somehow because I don't have the I don't have Mike's app to guard my privacy knew <laughs> that I like 2048 and advertised a game called 2048 Balls and it's sort of a combination of 2048 and like a physics game a little bit like maybe um Tetris would be a good example hmm. And so I just started playing it. I'm not sure yet if I like it as much as 2048 because it's a lot more randomness and chance and a lot less, like, skill. Whereas 2048 feels like it's a lot of actual, like, skill. And if I do well, I, it's because I did something good. And if I did, if I mess up, it's because I messed up. Um, but it's fun and it's new and I'm trying it. It's free to download. Um, the ads are really annoying and they pop up a lot. So you have to pay, I think, $2.99 to get rid of those ads. I'm right on the edge. I think I'm going to pay the $2.99. Uh, but that's a new game, and I, I don't like games very often. But one of the things I like about 2048, and I'm hoping I'll enjoy about this, it's the right amount. It requires the right amount of attention mm. where, like, you don't need to, like, set aside, like, an hour to play some complicated game. It, it's not so immersive that you can't do other things. So, like, 2048, you know, I'll often play it on an airplane when I have a podcast on or sometimes in front of the TV or something. So it's, like pretty it's like still requires some brain power which is nice it's like actually like you have to think about it in strategy but not too much so nice so it's like a screen screen time to supplement your other screen time <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like on an airplane yeah or something i'm saying that like i'm making fun of you but i actually enjoy like doing something kind of mindless on my phone while watching TV too. So well, and this is a perfect. I mean, sorry. And for, you, I know uh, that you do that too, Dad. <laughs> I see you on your iPad while we watch shows. Yes. Sorry for ignoring you guys, but this was a perfect example of like sound check can take a while here. Yeah. And so like you know, it, I wouldn't pull out like a fully immersive game and sit here yeah. and start like a battle online, a battle royale <laughs> online. But I have a few minutes. I can just play this game yeah. for a few minutes. It, it's easy to get started, easy to put aside, that sort of thing. Cool. May have to try it out. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Michael Show, dad, <laughs> this episode of the iPhone Life podcast. This has been a lot of fun and I feel like we learned a lot about 5G. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, there's a lot to it. So keep tuned yeah and if you're an insider stick around yes stick around and we will have our exclusive section where we share uh some things we've learned about our iphone all right see you next time <laughs>